Good morning, family. How you doing today, everybody? Good. I'm so glad to see you. I'm Josh, one of the ministers. If I have not met you, I'd like to do so after our gathering. Please stop out in the lobby. Let's say hi. I want you to know, it's not a perfect church because I'm here, but it's a good church. And I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome to the family. We are just honored that you'd be with us. And for our friends and family joining us online, welcome. In fact, we all just welcome everyone at home and online. Just say big howdy, big hi. Right now, you need to know that around the world, we actually have people who will tune into our family time here. Uh, We have people in other states, other parts of the world, other parts of our town. And so this really is a gift to get to gather together in this room together and welcome others. And if you've not yet given your life to Jesus, my prayer is not that you'll hear a sermon, but that you'll meet Jesus. And that you'll come to know him as your savior and as your friend. Because I believe God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to know you and for you to know him. And I think today's teaching may be exactly what some of you need to hear on that regard. So if you will, grab your Bibles and go with me to the book of 1 John. It's near the end of your Bibles. And we'll be there in just a moment in chapter 3. While you're turning there, though, I, I, I want to talk to you about our American legal system. I know that you're thinking, of course, we're going to talk about love and legal system. They just, oh, perfect union, right? Now, here's one of the interesting quirks about our legal system, one that I'm actually grateful for, but a quirk nonetheless. Did you know that you cannot be convicted based on simply the thoughts you have in your mind? And in most cases, you can't even be convicted based on words you say. It is about what you do. Now, some of you know the frustration of this as well. Some of you have been around dangerous people or people you felt were dangerous and you've called the police and you've said I'm concerned about this person or this situation and they've asked the question well has this person done anything well well, no but have you seen this guy's face his face is a crime against humanity he looks mean he looks scary I'm sorry unless he has done something doesn't matter We cannot convict based on what someone thinks, or in most cases, even on what they say. It is what you do that convicts you. So, the question before us today, the one that I think John's going to ask each of us, is this one very important but simple, simple question. If John, our brother in the faith, were to walk through these doors this morning, sit down and talk to us, and our lives were laid bare before him, would he look at us and would he kind of say, There's enough physical evidence in your life to convict you of being a loving person. That when I look at your life, the actions of your life, not the words of your mouth or the thoughts of your mind, but the actions of your life, you are a loving person. Or would there not be enough evidence to convict you of being a loving person? I think if the church of Jesus Christ needs to hear one thing today, It is this question, is there enough evidence in your life and mine that a watching and waiting world says that's what love looks like? And so John, to another church 2,000 years ago, writes these beautiful words in 1 John chapter 3. If you would, stand with me this morning as we read the scripture together. And because this is such a short passage, I'm going to invite each of you to join me by saying these words out loud, just this one verse. All together now, let's read this. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
dear children, let us not, what's this word, church? Love. With words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The evidence of love is what we do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that when love was asked to put on flesh, love climbed upon a cross for each of us. Now, this morning, would love speak to us? Would you, God, teach us through these beautiful words that we may be loved to one another and to this world? In Jesus' name, and all those who agreed said, and all those who agreed said, you may be seated. Now, let's remember By this point in history, John is the last remaining survivor of the 12 apostles. Of all the apostles, the other 11 at this point, roughly, we think somewhere in the 80s, maybe early 90s AD, all the others have been martyred, killed for their faith. Only John is the one who we believe dies of natural causes, old age. At this point, he is not just a a disciple or an apostle, but he is actually what we call the bishop of the city of Ephesus. You say, Bishop, what does that mean? It simply means that he was not responsible just for a church, but he led and loved on the churches that met in the city of Ephesus. After all, if you have spent three years with Jesus in the flesh, you have something to share other, with other people. And he has already written his gospel. Now, we call it the gospel of John, but that's a misnomer. It's not the good news of John. Rather, it is the good news of Jesus Christ that John has written to brothers and sisters so that they may know who Jesus is and believe. So he's already written about who Jesus was, his life, his perfect death, his resurrection on the third day, his ascension, return to the Father, and the promise that Jesus will one day return for us. Time out. Is it good news to anyone else that Jesus promises to find us one day? By the way, Albert, thank you this morning. I so appreciated your words, man. Jesus promises to return, and so as a result, these are the words that John has written about, and all the Christians, first, second, third generation Christians living at this point are going, that's great, John. How do we live in light of this news? And so John puts together some of his thoughts. He's like, this is how it looks to live like Jesus. And you want to know the one big word he continues to use over and over and over again in this little collection of works? Love. 45 times he's going to say, love, 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 You want to know what it means to be like Jesus? Love, 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 You want to know what it looks like? Live, love. Live, love. And he's going to define love in a very specific way. And I got to tell you, this is good news because in America, words are fuzzy in English sometimes. Have you noticed this? Just ask any of our international students trying to learn the language, and they'll tell you it's hard to understand English because so much of it is context-specific. So just ask an international student, can you tell the difference between the words "Uh uh-huh and "Uh uh-uh? And their brains just go... Because that is a difficult thing. And here's one of the words that is so difficult for us because it is so fuzzy. It's the word love. Now let's just play a little game. Raise your hand if you have ever said you love a certain kind of food. Maybe it's pizza or God's food, ice cream. Mm. Maybe you've said, I love my mama's cake. 
Maybe you've said, I love this kind of steak. Maybe you said, okay, so we've said that. Now, gentlemen, let's do it this way. If you're married or would like to be married, <laughs> have you ever said, I love my spouse? Go ahead, hands up. Anyone? All right, hold on. Hands up. Now, men, look around. Dudes, look to your wife real fast and say, I love you, baby. Okay, every man, your hand should go up now, okay? All right, I'm helping you out, brothers. Oh, what about this one? How many of you have a dog or an animal? Anyone in here? It's like, I love Fluffy. I love Butch. I love my little dog. I love my hamster. Whatever it may be. Uh, come on. Some of you have snakes. I, that's weird, okay? I love them. That's from the devil. Okay. So we'll say, I love my food. I love my spouse. I love an animal. Or maybe we'll say, I love this weather. Or I love my shirt. Or I love these things. Any of us think that the word love is being used differently? In those instances, by the way, you should be doing this right now, men, if you're married. You do not love a steak like you love your wife, at least not out loud, okay? So what am I trying to tell you here? In English, when we hear him say, love, not with your words or speech, but with what you do and in truth, let's be very clear, he is not talking about it in the way we understand it. He is using one very important word in Greek. In Greek, there were four words for love. Let's just walk through these. First word for love in Greek is the word for romantic love. It is eros. Everyone say eros. Eros, it's where we get our word erotic. The second word for love that we have here is brotherly or friendship love. It's the word philia. Everyone say philia. So we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Or what about the word for family love? It's the word storge. Everyone say storge. And then finally, the one that he's actually going to drill down on is the God kind of love. It is this kind of selfless love. It's called agape. On the count of three, agape. One, two, three. And this is a self-sacrificing for the other. It is self sacrificing, self-giving. I give of myself love for the beloved. Now, this love is radically different from what you see in every other corner of the world. Every other form of love between people, and, and, and I'll prove this to you in a moment, is not agape because agape love is covenant love. It's not contractual love. Here's what I mean. Contractual love says the first party agrees to do certain things Second party agrees to do certain things. And so long as they both meet their side of the agreement, then the relationship can continue. But if one person breaks covenant or breaks rather the contract, the other person is no longer responsible for keeping their side of things. So you hear someone say, I was in love, but they broke my heart. Now I no longer love them. In other words, their actions have caused me to withdraw my side of the agreement. I mean, tell me I'm wrong on this one. How many times do we see people fall in and out of love because of what another has done to them? But agape love, friends, is self-giving that says, I love you regardless of what you do for me or to me. It is not contract, it's covenant. A covenant is where you say, I will do this, period. I give, period, without any guarantee of return. Would it surprise you to know that this is the word that John uses almost every time he talks about love. And so in the verse we just looked at, he says, dear children, let us not agape with just words or speech, but with actions 
and in truth. Why? For it to be agape means it has to go beyond the words or what you even think. It must come out of your life that when you are pressed, the juice of your life is love. It is action in truth. Now, in America, I think we all kind of get this one pretty easily. In the West, we get this idea that love is action. After all, we were always brought up believing that you show God you love him by doing certain things. Now, for us, the way that we show God that we love him, at least if you're like me and the way I was raised, the way you show God that you love him was by going to church. Anyone else taught that the way you love God was going to church? Let's do it this way. The semi-religious people only showed up maybe on Sunday, but how many of us came on Sunday night? Let me see some hands. Oh, the frozen chosen are with us today. Fantastic. What about Wednesday nights? Anyone go on Wednesday? How many of you ladies did like a ladies Bible class sometime during the week? Any of you do that? Or maybe small group or you go to one Bible study, but then you go to another one right after because you're not sure if the first one would take. And so you grew up with this idea that to get into heaven, to show God that you love him meant that you had to hit the punch card enough times, almost like that sub shop where you have to buy 75 kind of crummy sandwiches to get one free crummy sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? And so you punch the card And you knew you were going to get to heaven. You're going to get into heaven before your Presbyterian friends because they didn't go on Sunday night. They'd have to go a few more times first, right? And so you get into heaven. And so for us, we had this idea that love was all about going to church. And so you show up to maybe a mission moment where you're going to learn how to care for the poor. And so you'd be driving to church to go to this mission moment to learn how to love the poor and show God you love him by learning how to love the poor. And you drive by the poor people. You don't stop. You go because you're too busy going to show God how much you love him. So we get this, but we don't get this clearly. And so John wants us to get a clear picture in our minds of the evidence of love is not showing up here. It's not speaking or even thinking a certain way. It is what comes out of our lives. And so what I want to do is I just real quickly, I want to break this down for you, make this incredibly practical. If you have a piece of paper, grab it and write one, two, three. If you have a phone, want to put this in your phone, do this. Go one, two, three in your notes app. Just write it down. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What is the thing that defines all other things? What is the big one that God kind of counts as the big deal? Jesus gave two pieces to the greatest commandment. In Matthew 22, Jesus says this. He says, love the Lord your God, agape the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, he's saying, Love to God is not giving him your Sunday mornings, but it's giving your whole life. And they said the second is likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean now to agape God, to agape in the ways God has called us and shown us? If you're writing this down, number one, you love God. You show God your love in action by worship. You love God by worship. Now, Show of hands, when you hear the word worship, how many of you think singing? So, so we come to church, and we've just had a great time of what? Worship, because what? We just sang. Now, can worship be singing? Absolutely. But worship is not exclusively singing. And I could also say that is all singing worship. Not at all. Did you know you can come here and sing with your voice, yet not worship with your hearts? Because worship is not simply what you do with your mouth, it's what you do with your life. Worship is the act of putting Jesus Christ 
putting God the Father, embracing the Spirit of God, and placing Him in the center of everything in your life. He becomes, well, He becomes the orbit around which you go. He is the center of it all. This is what biblical worship is. In fact, Romans 12.1 gives us a very clear picture when Paul, the apostle, writes, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your words, right? No. To offer your thoughts. No, no, he doesn't say that. To offer your emotions. What does he say, church? Offer your bodies, your whole being, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship is saying you are the center of it all. My life revolves around you, not just on Sunday morning, but every moment of my life. Now, I've told you before, but let me tell you again, the word for glory, have you heard this word glory, by the way, in the church? The word for glory can be translated weight or mass. Let's talk science for a moment here. If you have an object that is weighty enough, has enough mass to it, at a certain size, it creates this thing called gravity. How many of us have experienced gravity? Yeah, every one of us right now. The reason we're not just sort of floating off, or actually because the earth is rotating, the reason we're not being thrown off is because of the earth's gravitational pull. It is weighty enough to hold us where we need to be. Let's expand this a little bit bigger, though. Pop quiz, church. In our, keyword, solar system, what is the largest or most gravitationally attractive body in our solar system? What is it? Very good. It's the sun. Not a, not a trick. It's the sun. And so, in fact, if you think about it, our entire solar system, all the planets rotate in proper orbit because of the weight, the glory of the sun. Let me show you a picture of this. The reason everything is operating and organized rightly is because of the glory, the mass, the weight of the sun. Its gravitational pull orders all of the aspects of our solar system. Now, this seems impressive, but let me give you just a little sense. How big does the sun need to be to keep things that are billions of miles apart in proper order? Let me give you a perspective. This is a part of your sun. And you say, well, where are we? These are the planets. Where are we? Uh, You are right there. Everyone wave, right? (laughs) This is us. The bigness, the glory of the sun is the only thing big enough to keep the planets, to keep our moon, to keep all of the aspects of our system in order so that chaos does not ensue, so that we do not spin off, float off, broken and fragmented. Friends, sin is the result of us saying, we don't need you at the center of it all. And what has happened? Our personal and collective universes have fragmented and spun out of control because we have taken the only one big enough to create the gravitas, the gravity, to hold us all together. Worship is saying, you are at the center of it all, God. You are at the center of my marriage, You are at the center of our family. You are at the center of my work. You are at the center of my thoughts, my relationships. You are at the center of it all. And the strange thing is the more we worship God, the more he is reaffirmed in our minds as the center of our personal universes. You want to know what it is to love God with everything? You just put him where he always has belonged, and that's in the middle of it all. And I need to speak frankly with some of you. 
Here's the reality. You do not have anything else in your life that has enough gravity to it to hold everything else in your life in orbit. Only God is big enough to create the gravitational pull to hold everything together. Let me give you an example. So you love your family, and you make your family the center of your universe. Families are a gift from God, but friends, your family is not God. Your wife, men, is a good gift from God. Ladies, your husband, they are good gift from God. Your children, good gift from God, but they are not strong enough to hold your life together. You want to know how I know this? Just look to someone whose spouse has left them or died or children have run away or died. And if their children or spouse were the center of it all, they fall apart because that is not big enough to hold everything together. Or some of us have put our jobs at the center of our lives. So long as I can make a certain figure, have my name on the door, have that great corner office, then everything will work. It works until you lose the job or you get sick and can't do the job and everything flies off into chaos. Worship is entering each space going, God, you are at the center of this. Tomorrow, when you walk into the office, you say to God, God, this is my gift to you. I will work with my hands and my mind in a way that honors you. I will not waste time on the boss's dime looking on the internet or social media. I will be hardworking doing what you've called me to do. That is my act of worship. I will love my family well. I will be present when I'm physically present. And this is my spiritual act of worship. You want to love God with everything? You love him through worship. All that I have, you're at the center of it, God. Now, number two, this one kind of gets us tripped up. And most of us think that, well, if love God is number one, number two is love others. That's not number two. Number two is to love yourself. How? By receiving. Once you have worshipped, the gift that God gives you now is the gift of promise, the gift of blessing, and the way you love yourself is to receive the good gifts of God with gratitude. Not, I, I, no, no, I can't, Jesus. Or, no, 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 I, I just don't think I'm worthy. Or, I got this on my own. Friends, it is not self-centered to receive the gifts of God any more than it is for a fish to swim in water. They were designed for the water. You were designed for the blessings of God. You're designed to welcome him, to receive him. And as you make him the center of it all, you begin to be reminded and receive the order that comes from him in the center of everything. And you say, thank you. And you hear the words of God that say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in me, Romans 8.1. And you hear the promise of Deuteronomy 31 where he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, child. And you hear the words of Romans 8.32 where he says, God is for us. Who can be against us? What would it be like for God's presence to be so great, for worship to happen 24-7, so that it cancels out the toxic thoughts and statements that you have been taught or heard growing up? Or when the boss says something, or a friend says something, or a spouse or a child, that the truth of God's word, the blessing of God, the promise of who you are in him is so great that it cancels out everything else you love yourself when you say what he says is true and it is the truest thing about me. When you receive his blessing, this is how you love yourself. Now, what happens when you love yourself? Well, you can love others. Now, before we get into this, let me, let me point out one last little thing. 
How many of you have someone um, in your family or a friend group that whenever you're with them, they always just want to pull you off to the side to hang out with you privately? Anyone like that? You got to, no, no, no. Any of us? Let, let me tell you mine. My father is one of my best friends. We, we love time together. We'll go on trips together. We'll go hang out. Um, but one of the things that my dad has done for as long as I've lived away, and even when we lived in Nashville, whenever we'd go to their house, my dad would say, hey, hey Josh, come on over here. I want to show you something. And sometimes it'd be like a really legitimate thing, like, hey, I want to show you this cool thing I installed or this thing that I'm doing. That's great. A lot of times he'd be like, hey, I want to show you this hole in the ground. It's like, yeah, dad, there's a hole in the ground. Yeah, isn't that a brilliant hole? Yeah, dad, that's a brilliant hole. And I'm thinking, why are we looking at this hole? And it wasn't until my wife reminded me, she said, your dad, have you noticed that whenever we're around, he just grabs you and he pulls you off because he wants time just with you and he'll look for any excuse. What would it be like for you to know that your father in heaven doesn't just love you, but he delights in you so much, he just wants to pull you over and say, hey, let's visit together. That you don't annoy him with your questions and your comments. That he loves listening to you pray, and he loves hearing about your day, and he loves hearing about your time. He wants to hear about your worries. It's not that he doesn't know, but your daddy God wants to be in relationship with you so that whenever anything is blowing up, the words from him flow in to you because of that relationship and you know that you are loved even when life falls apart because he's the one holding it all together. So what do you do now when you have received this good gift? You want to share it with others. So you love others. How? By sharing. By sharing. Now, men, we're the worst at this and here's what I mean by this. If you are having a great time, if you're somewhere having a ball, what is it that you want to do? You want to snap a picture, take a video, send it to your friends, and say, I'm having fun. Stinks for you that you're not here, right? But as Jesus begins to do work in your life, what ends up happening? God will begin to point out people around you that need the good gifts of God, the blessings you have received, the truth that God is for you, he is not against you, that God has forgiven you, that God has made a way through his son, and God will now give you opportunity for the blessings he has given to you to spill out onto the lives of others. This is why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, these beautiful words where he says, because we loved you so much, because we agapeed you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only that Jesus lived, died, rose, but we also gave and shared our lives as well. That because of what he is doing in you and me, because of the blessing of God, you know, I gotta give it to someone else. Agape love is not simply Jesus loves you. What would it look like to show up in someone else's moment of need and show them love without having to say, I love you? That the gift of God, when he's at the center of it all, spills out into our lives and into others. I've struggled all week thinking, how do I show this in a way that makes sense? Because the truth is, many of us feel empty or we feel frustrated, we feel unloved. It's because we flip the script. And so, as I was just saying, God, what's the picture? Here's the picture God gave me that maybe will help you. Here's the picture of loving God, ourselves, and others. And it's with this little video clip. How many of you know what this is? It's the waterfall, right? By the way, if you have to use the bathroom, close your ears because this is not going to help. But how does it work? Three tiers at the top, the source of the water comes out, spills to the second cup. And as that cup is full of the water, it spills to the third. 
what am I trying to tell you? Do you remember that moment in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets this woman at the well? She's thirsty, yes, physically, but at a soul level, she is thirsty. And Jesus says, I will give you streams bubbling up water that will just keep to flowing over and over and over and will spill out from me into you. And you will never be thirsty again because the source of love is not you producing it, but you receiving it. And notice her first response when she gets it. She drops her jug for water at the well, runs back to the city to share what she has just received. It flows from Jesus to us, to others. Agape is not with words or speech, but with deeds and in truth. So what's the truth you need to hear this morning? For some of us, the truth we need to hear is that you've been forgiven of your sins, like our buddy Trey right here. You need to know the truth that God is big enough to hold all the aspects of your life together. Some of you need to know the truth that what you did yesterday does not get to define you if you are in Christ Jesus. For some of you, because you are so heartbroken because of what's going on in your life or in this world or in the life of someone you love, you need the truth to know that he is preparing a place for you. And this is not the end. But the question that John leaves us with is simply this. If you examine your life, is there enough evidence that we'd be able to convict you of living this kind of life? And if not, don't begin by trying harder with others or even yourself. Begin at the source with Jesus. Jesus, I received your love. I put you in the middle of my life. I trust you. And that agape love will flow out of you or out of him to you and to others. This is the evidence of love. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Remember, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am with you. Jesus Christ is in this space right now. The proof of his love is on that cross. And he's here today to say, child, I don't, your past doesn't define you anymore. My forgiveness does. Father, we pray that you will in this moment remind us that love came, love lived, love died, and love lives again. And that love did not talk a good game, but love went to a cross for us. And now we're invited into this beautiful experience of love. I pray for my brothers and sisters and friends that they will this moment and this morning receive the truth that you love them, that they'll put you at the center of their lives, that the orbit of everything will begin to spin in proper alignment because you have the weight, the glory to hold it all together. I pray that they will begin to love themselves by receiving the good gifts and the promises that you give and that they will love others by sharing what they've received. May we be a church defined by love. It's in the name of Jesus that we thank you and praise you. And everyone who agreed said, amen.